Welcome to Psychotherapy. I'm your host. Our altitude is 10,000 feet. That's a lot of feet. It must be a lot of people. 5,000 people if it's uh, people who have two feet each, which is standard. It's been a long time since I've talked to you, but I'm not going to go into that now because I'll go into that later. I have half a mind, and should stop there, but I have half a mind to put up the episode without any editing because it doesn't really need it. I don't think so. Long time since the last one. I know I say that a lot, but I'm positive this is the longest time because I've been doing a lot of filming and uh, my schedule has been full and my plate was full too, so there was a lot of fullness. This episode is about that. It is about my journey. It is about where I've come from episode number one, but it's not going to hit you over the head with it. Uh, We take some tributaries and we take some peninsulas and we take some uh, fjords on the way to the point, but it is never off track. Is this a summary? Am I giving you a review of the episode? Well, I hope not. It's good, I feel. And it's definitely something I needed to share. But all that doesn't matter. If you were recommended to this, or if you felt you need to listen to this, or if you just found this, you were supposed to. You were supposed to. That's how my show works. I don't have any advertising. You didn't see a billboard on the way to work. This found you, or you found it. It doesn't matter. You were meant to hear it. That, I believe. So, you know, put on your seatbelt, because I'm going to blast your ears with uh, wonder. Why not? We do a little jingle before the show. So grab my hand, look into my eyes. They're steel blue, as blue as emeralds. Hold my hand, and we're going to walk down the psychopath together. I'm Jet Dunlap. This is the show they call Psychotherapy, and uh, it's going to start right now. So when it rains... And it has been for the last 24 hours a great deal here. I have to go around the property and with a squeegee or a broom, knock over puddles. Wheelbarrows are left out by people who aren't me. Tools are left out. The top of trash can lids. Anything that's metal. I have to remove puddles from areas where wires are. uh, Electrical wires that go across puddles. Stuff like that. I also today had to do something a little special, and I doubt that this is something you had to do. I had to climb on top of my 34-foot RV, and uh, I think our RV is about 10, 10 feet tall, something like that. It's taller than that because it's up on its hydraulic jacks. And so I have to climb that with a pressure washer on my arm, with the pressure washer hose and nozzle around my neck, with a bucket of warm water, with one of those um, car brushes to go to the roof of this thing. And I'd say about every three months, I have to wash it because if the dirt collects, it starts to create pores and eat away at the silicone. And then there's holes in your roof. And when that happens, you have to take the wood out. It's a whole thing. So I'm up there in the slick water while it's raining in my hoodie. My feet are soaking wet. And I'm brushing dirt off of my 1990s RV home. And I think about that at face value, which is, here I am, this is what I'm doing, don't fall. (laughs) 
you have to clench your abs and kind of use your feet like you're ice skating. You have to pull them in because if I fell, that'd be the last thing I'd do, and that is not how I die. Okay, that's that's not what all this work has been about dying on top of a uh, 1990s RV. It's not easy being cheesy, IDIDI, as a Cheetos guy, not a sponsor, used to say, probably around the same time my RV was manufactured. But it's not an easy life, right? Going around with the squeegee with cold hands under the wet gloves, squeegeeing everything off and moving tools and stuff like that, it's not easy. It's also not easy to be in a house that's that small a lot. You know, you get cabin fever if you're in that rainy place a lot. It's, a, it's an RV. It's a recreational vehicle. Our recreation has lasted six years. I look at all the puddles. I look at the mud. I look at the cement that I put down the other day to try and make our area a little better. I look at all the work ahead of us as far as construction, and then I'm going to get to the real point, which is my movies, what we've been doing. I don't have a connection to the poor me situation that I want to have. No. I don't have a connection to who that would appear to be, right? A guy of my age, whatever it is, Quantum 30, who lives in an RV in his in-law's backyard on a mud pile. Has no kids, has no job, no retirement, and no solid career. You look at that on paper and you go, what a lahoozer. I don't feel that. I can't even conjure that up for the purpose of plain devil's advocate. I know where I am. I know what I am, and I know how I got here, and I know all those books you read, self-help. I don't know what they call them now. It used to be like personal development, right? Whether it's spiritual or agnostic. It will talk about visualization, It'll talk about transcending the position that you're in currently. So this is my life as it stands at this moment, on this state, at this place, in this body. I must transcend that. I must look past it. I must project my consciousness, mind, spirit into a reality that I want to manifest. Boy, oh boy, was that hard. (laughs) I wasn't able to do it. I could meditate. I could do breathing exercises. I could do running, which was the greatest meditation I've ever had. I had to do a ton of other meditations to know that I've had one for, uh, you know, a good 10 or 12 years running. But uh, yeah, that was never easy. It was hard to live in a cockroach infested hellhole in a place that was called Hitter's Alley, like hitting someone, Hitter's Alley, where it actually lived up to its name. Um, where we lived in uh, the valley on San Fernando Street. Go from that place that had cockroaches constantly where our stuff got stolen, and in the morning when people started their cars, the exhaust would creep into our bedroom window. Mmm, delicious. Old uh, Chrysler exhaust, you know. Old cars that are being used for landscaping that probably wouldn't pass smog if those people cared to get them smog, which they didn't. And then move into an RV, a rags-to-rags story, the gentleman past would be reading as. I'm trying to stall. I didn't really have anything to say there. I'm just putting words in to try and fill. Anyway, wouldn't be glamorous. My feet are soaked with cold water right now. 
it's okay because I don't feel that I'm here right now. And that's true. <laughs> and I laugh when I say that, and I've heard before from not very smart people uh, that sometimes my laughs seem insincere. So why am I listening to them anyway? I just told you they're not smart. They may be smart, but they're not perceptive. I am sincere. Uh, I don't see myself here. And the things that I have now, like the office with these incredible monitors and this incredible camera gear I have and a wall full of projects I produced or written that are in some process of being screened next year. What I mean by that is they are in the assembly line, not a parked one. You know, everyone has a script in their drawer. You can't read it yet because it's not ready, right? Everyone has a movie. Everyone started in a novel. Everyone's going to go to the gym. Nope, not me. I'm fit. I have movies that you can see that I'm not showing right now because I'm saving them for festival, but they exist. I work with actors. I have the right cameras. And I have seven screenplays finished. Two features finished. Three other features that passed 70 pages. That's done. I live in an RV. Okay, fine. That is an easy thing to perceive and say, that is who you are, Mr. Not Trailer Park, because I have a trailer, but uh, I don't live in that. Mr. RV Park, RV Pilot, as I prefer to be called, like Spaceballs. Not a sponsor. Do I need to tell you that um, that movie, Mel Brooks's Spaceballs, isn't a sponsor? I started to see my house with a sense of nostalgia about a year ago. And we had dug out our yard yet again, but in this case, literally went four feet deeper in elevation to where our yard is, our outdoor space. And when I got to that elevation, I looked at my RV and my property with a sense of, wow, enjoy this. Look at your little office that looks like an impression of a writer's office. Like I built it without an intention consciously, but it looks like this office is doing a stand-up routine of a writer's office, which is not common that buildings do that, but it is so something you would see in a movie as a writer's office. I'm in it right now. It's cold. My feet are wet. Did I say that? All of this stuff I look around at and I started to have this sense of soon moving on. Where I live right now is a hill, for those of you who haven't heard this show before. Where I am right at this moment, sitting in my office, right outside my door would have been about three or four feet of dirt. Where our RV is would be about six or eight feet of dirt. We dug it out of the ground over a period of about five months. Did not exist. Nothing here existed that exists today. Okay. I saw this before I moved in here. One day, and this was like in 2014, I started taking pictures of this area, and we came over here seldomly. Uh, Gina's not super close to her parents, and so we weren't here often. But when we came here in 2014, I took a lot of pictures. One of the pictures is of where we are right now, and it was so covered in brush and trees and bushes that uh, you couldn't see anything. Then the next time we came here, March of 2015, I walked away from the outdoor table, Gina's birthday, celebration here outside, 
and I felt the breeze, summer breeze. I lived in an apartment that had no outdoor space, and uh, I knew I was going to live here. And I went out to exactly where I am right now, and I said, there. I had no friendship with Gina's parents. She was not close to them. And that day I started talking to Gina, and probably within a week later, I had decided. And if you felt this before, it wasn't really a decision as much as it was the reality that was going to take place, and I agreed to it. I saw everything I see right now, everything that exists right now, and I said, that is reality. That is what will happen. That has to be there. That's where I live. That's where I am. Now I see this as the past. I see the next place. And the next place is so unreal, according to linear progression through finances and career, that it's easy for me to dismiss it and go, oh, you're wrong, Jet. That's impossible. You're shooting for the stars. You're a bit of a dreamer. Wake up, son. But uh, I see it. I feel it. I know it. And I want to contradict it because it seems too big. But then everything I've done that has ever been impressive has been me just deciding and saying, this is the thing. And then it happening. I quit depression in June of 2020 during COVID because I said I quit smoking, I quit drinking, and a ton of other things, right? Lost 60 pounds, which is something I didn't even mention because it seems so pedestrian to me compared to the other things, but that was a deal. That took over two years. So I said I can quit depression, and I did. What I did is I said before that indulgence of that emotion occurs, there's a precursor, just like the desire to get in a fight or yell or smoke or drink. There's this neurological sensation that goes, I feel so sad. <laughs> and then and then you bite into that and go, mm, I remember this. Oh, yes, your subconscious says, this is the lukewarm water of your reality. Let me get in. It's nice. It's cold out here. Let's get into this depression. And you think, no one likes depression, Jet. No, they don't like it, but it's familial. It's it's something you're accustomed to. It's your homeostasis. It's your neutral position. And my brain would just go into that, and then I'd be miserable. And once you get into the tide of depression, oh, it ain't easy to get out. So I rejected that. And I'd say two or three days in that time since June of 2020 have I actually felt depressed. Never for a full day. A little bit of a day. And when it hit, ooh, baby. Hello, darkness. One of my episodes. That's how hard it was. After a series of things that went wrong, it was tough. But I was depressed (laughs) for like 15 years. So a little bit of a day is nothing. Why am I mentioning all this? Why am I talking about this? Why am I back on the mic, as I call it, tickling the ivories, which is preposterous, but something I like to say. Uh, I think of that as tickling an elephant because I would never kill an elephant for its tusks to make a piano. I just want to put that out there in case you thought that's something I was capable of doing. wouldn't even know how to start that. Well, I know how to start it. I wouldn't know how to make it into a piano. Why am I back on the mic? I've done back-to-back-to-back-to-back-to-back films since last year when I was in school. And I had my last class last Tuesday. December 7th or something like that. 
I've been in school for two years. When I started this process, I talked to you guys about it. Oh my God, I hate this. The thing I've always dreaded most was school. I've avoided it for so long. Now, I graduated top of my class. Summa cum laude. Yeah, I didn't even know what that was. And I have that degree in a envelope that I never opened. I got it in August. It's now December. I have somewhere around four films that are done and all the screenplays I told you. I have worked in the shadows because I have not posted about this, which is interesting, right? All these accomplishments and all these things I've done and I don't want to post about them. I want to want to because I know there are advantages in showing this that would bring more people to work with me, in which case I can help more people, which I did with some actors recently and uh, some people who have become good friends of mine that I met in class. I have taught them things that they have been desiring. They have wanted to meet someone who takes film this seriously. And I've been able to be an instrument of the universe for their benefit. And so if I was to post it on Facebook or Instagram, hey, look what I'm doing, and more people got to get involved in that and exercise their dreams, then that's a positive thing. But I still... Old habits, right? I used to post the most pedestrian shit in the world. Sorry about the language, but it's true. And uh, people get really excited. Hey, look at my body. Hey, look at this. Hey, look at Gina and I are, you know, good-looking couple. Blah, 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 blah. Hey, look, I'm near a boat that I don't own. Hey, look at this house that's not mine. Some of that may not even be true, but it was the thought process. Give me some likes, baby. Put those likes in my veins. I'll do anything. I don't have that anymore. But I still want to help people out. That sounds like it's just kind of a recap, everything I've talked about. And that's kind of what it is. I'm just kind of bringing you up to date uh, with where I am. Quitting depression, all that stuff. Thank you for listening so far. That first part was about where I had been and what I had done to be who I am now. The second part is about where I am today and where I'm going. And how that's a little unbelievable. The unreality of my life is something I can't quite lock onto mentally. I know it. I know where I am. I know what house I have. I know how much money I have. I know how many films are out there. I know how many awards I've gotten for the films. I know what I drive. I know what Gina looks like on the balcony of our beach house. I had that vision in 2002 when I looked at my girlfriend at the time and said, I just had a dream about going running with my girlfriend in Malibu. I'm a film director and I was in San Francisco with her and she said, was it me? And I said, no. And that was a hard thing for that girlfriend at the time to hear, but that person was Gina and that time is soon. 2002. I felt that and left Northern California to come here. And shortly thereafter, I met Gina and I didn't know it was Gina until we got married because she didn't look like the vision I saw in my brain. You did all that for a dream? Yeah. Yeah, but I'm nuts. You know? Here's the point of all that. The unreality of my life, it's here. And I try and lock onto it because it's like a splinter in my brain. Serendipity, coincidence, beyond coincidence, odd circumstances that are impossible, having that ability in a world that is rational, making a film I didn't know was going to be the way it is, but the way it is is exactly how it should have been because it shows up in every part of my life, my movies being a metaphor for the life I had before and then even more being a metaphor for the life I'm having after I made it and not being able to realize that until someone brought it up, that unreality. The podcast turning into film writing, turning into all the things that it has is all 
completely the way the map should have been written in the past. I don't worry about doing the wrong thing. I worry about doing enough of the right thing, but I don't worry about doing the wrong thing because I believe myself to be in such inertia that I cannot deviate from where I'm going. I have the awards. I have the house. I have the career. And the thing I look forward to most, and this would have been absolute nonsense years ago, but it's true, is how many people I can take with me. On my last movie, towards the end, there was this part that I needed to cast, and I hadn't cast it. Uh, which is funny because everything else in pre-production had been very tight. But it was 24 or 30 hours before we needed to shoot. And this is a big crew and a big set. And I mean, not like studio sense, but for independent, for me, <laughs> it was big. And uh, I hit up this girl. Let's call her uh, Marley. Okay, Marley. I called her within 30 hours of my movie. And I said, I want you to play this part. And she said, oh, okay, send me the script. I sent her the script. And she had to leave the class to answer my message. And then she had to read the script, blah, blah, blah. She said, okay, yeah, this seems great. 24 hours later, somewhere around there, I don't remember exactly. She's here. She's dressed. She's ready. She's got the scene. She's got the lines. Gina and she were working inside the trailer, which is the RV. And then she came out. Um, what did I call her? Marley? Marley. And we're in the set for the scene she's going to be in. She's in one of the last scenes of the night. We start talking about the scene, and I start telling her what I see it as. I want to know what she thinks of it. And she says, you know, this was pretty crazy being in this project. I'm smiling when I tell you this story, by the way. She said, I was working with my theater teacher, and the theater teacher is really close to this, like, teacher's pet, this uh, this kisser of ass. And... Uh, and she said, they were telling me how I'm not very talented. They were telling me that I wasn't very good at acting. And then you texted me. This was when I texted her to see if she wanted to be in the movie. When she got my text, she was being told she didn't have a lot of talent. By people she cared about their opinion. She knew the reality of the situation, but she cared. She wouldn't be there if she didn't. After my text, she got to ask her theater teacher if she could leave early because she was cast in a movie. I dropped my mic if I wasn't afraid of hurting my mic. How awesome is that? How, how gratifying do you think that is for a guy like me who hates school, hates teachers, who are just there to kill your dreams because theirs didn't work out, to make you feel a little smaller or to have them subscribe to the worship of them, this, this, this person who stands in mediocrity, and mediocrity is being generous. Most teachers are worse than that. She got to go in, Marley, and say, Sorry, dum-dums, you were wrong about my talent because I just got to be in a movie and I won't be in your silly class tomorrow. How awesome is that? That was my favorite part of my movie. Yep. When it wins awards, when it makes the careers of the actors in it, when people are telling me how whatever it is... I was going to start saying brilliant and stuff like that, but cart before the horse. Whatever they say about it, it won't mean as much to me as the way Marley felt when those people who said she was one thing were proven wrong almost instantaneously by the fact that she had a role. And she was great. She was great in the movie. That's what I'm talking about. I am helping people. Now, I'm not saying everything's predestined. I'm saying that I had a feeling I would cast that role. I had waited, and it worked out perfectly. Almost everything has since that. 
And when I left school last week on Tuesday, I felt like my brain was handed back to me for the first time in two years. When I was doing this show and I talked to you guys about going to college during COVID, I'm like, oh my God, I'm terrified. Oh my God, this. I guess that wouldn't exactly be two years, would it? Yeah, so a little less, like 20 months or something like that. But when I said this, I knew I'd be here. I knew I'd be here right now. I didn't know my socks would be wet. I probably did, but I wasn't given that much thought. I knew I'd be here right now. I projected that. I knew I'd have the films. I knew I'd have the degree. And you know, one of the things that's tough about that is, especially if you're sober-minded, you don't feel it. I have gotten one card, and I think one congratulations on what was one of the most difficult accomplishments in my life, going to school. And we're talking about brick-and-mortar school, too. I went to class. I drove an hour to class and was doing Zoom classes, and Gina was helping me. And it was nonstop. I did multiple classes at the same time. It was expensive. It was very difficult, very hard on my brain and my emotions. But I knew I'd get here. I think my point was is that I didn't feel it. And there was no parade and there was no graduation party and no one cared. I also didn't tell anyone, so it's not exactly their fault. Isn't that weird? This thing that has made me feel stupid my entire life, being the only one in my family, my mom's side of the family, who didn't have a college degree. And then I graduate top of my class and I don't tell anyone. Because <laughs> it was for me. Oh, and it's for you. Cliche, right? By the time you get the thing you've been working for, the effort has been so great that the accomplishment just feels like a signpost. You get to the top of a peak that you've been trying to climb, but the strength that you gain on the way there and the perspective that you have, I don't want to say gained again, but let's go ahead and say gained because, uh, you know, my feet are wet, so I'm not as uh, clever with the words. <laughs> so gain, but all of that is now a part of you when you get to the peak and then you see the next peak you have to accomplish. And that's what you're looking at. And someone could say, hey, wow, look at what you did. And they won't because you're alone. Because these journeys, guys, I'm sorry, it may be different for you. I think that in a lot of cases it is. But for most of the people I admire, it's alone. <laughs> and my reality is my reality. The people I am uh, attracted to as far as writers, uh, mostly, or athletes. Uh, people who have accomplished great things. They are very similar to my journey, which is massive failure after massive failure, and then still mustering up the courage to keep going. And then when you start to really have the things you've always wanted, which, let me make this very clear, I am living right now. I am living the life I want to. The material circumstances of my life right now have no effect on me. The mud, boo-hoo. My wet socks, uh, my house, it's all a part of a past from the future that I see as past. I don't feel it. I know where I am. I can hear the waves from my Malibu house. I can feel the edge of the balcony's rail as I look out at Mammoth on a snowy day. I used to be drinking a cocktail. I'm not drinking a cocktail anymore. I have a soda water. But I can feel that. I can smell it. I am there. It's not through some kind of meditation. It is 
reality. As I knew this backyard would be built when I saw a pile of dog turds, <laughs> which is true, it was, it was horrible. They had not cleaned up back here, and there was a lot of dog eggs, as uh, the Brits call it. And that's gross, I know, but it was a really disgusting area back here. It had a lot of rusty tools and old parts. But I saw what it is now. That's the point, not to draw a picture of what it was. But I saw what it is now. And that dream I had, I don't know, six months, a year ago, I'm not sure, where I heard, if you build it, they will come. And then Pow showed me this world when I was talking to Pow and uh, my grandfather. And I was saying, you know, you're gone. And I miss our conversations. And he asked me, well, what are we doing right now? And the point was, we were having a conversation in my dream. But when he said, if you build it, they will come, it was the office. And the other day, I had a whole team of people in here making a movie. The set was right outside here. I saw all that. It's a reality. And I'm not painting the picture bright enough for you to understand how unreal it is. I don't need to. I think if you listen to the show before, you get it. You hear it in my voice. And you know what this was building up to. It could have very easily, I guess, gone another way. It wasn't going to, but I'm in the win. I'm not at the start of this new world. I am in the world. I used to think I'm at the start of the new life, right? No, but it's not. It's, It's all the same. My circumstances are... They don't even mean anything to me. I mean that. I want you to understand that. When you actually have become the person that you felt led to be, the person who could write as well as you could speak, speak better than you ever thought you could, go to school, be courageous in ways you didn't see possible, be generous, be forgiving, tackle all your weaknesses. I have to think about weaknesses I have. One of them was that I had to have too much control of post-production. So I gave my last project to the cinematographer, a guy we'll call Basin. Basin took it, and it was driving me nuts at first. I had not had a project where I did not have the footage myself from the second principal photography was done. For 12 years, I had never had anyone have what's considered the negative, right? The master film file. And I did that just to have that feeling. And it was tough. The only reason I even did it was because it was somewhere where I knew I was scared. And I want to conquer, not conquer. I mean, that sounds like I'm, you know, uh, Alexander, the grape that, uh, what were those things called? Those popsicles? Popsicles that came in the pointy little plastic things. Otter Pops. Otter Pops are a sponsor. Alexander the Grape. I'm not saying it to be like Alexander the Grape, the otter. I'm saying that I see those fears and I go, oh, awesome. There's one I need to work on. And you can too for $99.95. Is that $99.95? I don't know. I'm not selling you anything. I'm telling you where I am. And if you try to duplicate the process, that'd be tough. I believe it to be my entire life. It's probably more like from when I was 13 till now. I couldn't explain it all. I could tell you the parts that I understand, but I always am hesitant to explain the past through a future that is this positive. But the good news is I have episodes going back to 2019 where I couldn't have been in a position that was more different than this. That was the point of this deal. 
go to episode one. I think it's called Welcome to My Problems or Welcome to My Issues or something. And I sound like this and I talk really fast. I was a different person. And I wanted to do that because I knew this eventuality would happen. And I know that so soon it'll be a blink. I'll be in my office in Malibu. I'll be in my office in my giant house in the valley or wherever I end up living. I don't know. I'm not going to narrow that. But I'm going to be in my office. I'm going to be saying the same thing to you. And this will feel like a distant memory. So I'm living with my eyes open because I know that this is going to be something that I'll look back on and go, look at that little office I had. I walked across mud. I had to put cardboard down over the mud to get to my tiny little office that had a heater that is uh, comedic. It's the size of a uh, child's shoe. My heater is the size of my fist. That's how small it is. I know where I am. I feel it. It's kind of dreamlike, not detached, but in the sense that reality is not as solid. Oh, he's crazy again? No, I'm not crazy. That's exactly what a crazy guy would say. (laughs) Maybe, I don't know. I feel pretty sane. There's a buffer between me and the reality I used to know. And the color of things is different. And the feeling of things is different. And I smile easier. Yeah. Pretty crazy, right, guys? For those of you who've been on this journey with me. For those of you who have walked the psychopath. I'm not out of words, but I'm going to go. Because I have uh, promises to keep and miles to go before I sleep. I made that up. That's my poem. I want to say good things about you right now. I was going to say something crazy like, um, I love you. I care about you. You mean the world to me. And every time I say that, I'm like, what are you talking about? You can't see these people, but I feel it. I feel that your ears are meant to hear this. And I feel like my heart and my soul and my love and my passion and my everything could not be happier than I'm talking to you right now. I mean, again, I'm not a great listener. I, I can, you can talk to your radio right now and I won't hear you, but maybe I will. Thank you so much for listening. I wouldn't be here without you. And I hope this helps. I'm Jet Dunlap, and I'll talk to you next time. Oh, 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 oh,